Kwana was an innovator in Comanche government. His first accomplishment was to unify the wandering bands of Comanche for a Sundance. Although Kwana was a half-breed, he had never agreed with the whites. In fact, he was one of the chiefs that had refused to sign the Medicine Lodge Creek Treaty, and had never brought his people to a reservation. He appears to have had more intellect than his fellow tribesmen, and could grasp problems on a grander scale than his contemporaries. Quanah Parker knew that the white settlers were becoming more numerous and powerful with each year. A coalition of all the Plains Indians against the invaders would be necessary if victory were to be assured. Messengers were sent across the Plains to offer an invitation to Kiowas, Kiowa Apaches, and Southern Cheyennes to join the Comanches for the Sundance. The purpose of a Sundance was to prepare young men for war. Parker's plan was then to gather all of the tribes for a general council in order to discuss their common problems and grievances against the encroaching white men. Quanah wanted to bring the principal chiefs of the Plains Indians together to talk of war. Quanah knew that his young braves were longing for war, and that maybe the other tribal chiefs would see this same desire for war in their young men to unite their tribes with the Comanches for an all-out war. Comanches, like most Plains Indians, depended on prophets or mystics to solve domestic and tribal problems. In the spring of 1874, bands of Comanche, Kiowa, Cheyenne, and Arapaho nations were called together by the religious leader Isatea for a Sundance. Isatea, meaning coyote anus in Comanche, had become a prominent warrior and medicine man of the Quahati Band. Being known by the Plains tribes as a prophet and messiah, he began uniting the autonomous Comanche bands through the first Comanche Sundance, a Plains Indians ritual that his tribe had not previously adopted. Among the many tribes who had gathered during the ceremonies were the Mexican Comancheros, and many took part with the liberal consumption of whiskey. The whiskey circulated deep into the camp, served to harden the stance of creating a great war party within the gathering. The spirit of creating a war party increased when a band of Cheyenne dog soldiers rode into camp, brandishing 80 new mint breech-loading rifles. The commotion and talk of war caused some member of the attending Pentatanka tribe to grow easy with concern. It was a time when prayer was offered, followed by the ceremonial felling of a tree which was then painted and erected at the dancing ground. Offerings were made to show respect to the Great Spirit and painted dancers abstaining from food that circled the pole to the beat of drums, bells, and sacred chants. Once it was over, they smoked a sacred pipe in honor of the Great Spirit as Isatea proclaimed his prophecy. Isatea pointed to the night sky, waving his arms through the blaze of the campfire. He claimed that he had ascended into heaven and had conversed with the Great Spirit. He told the gathering tribes that the Great Spirit granted him extraordinary powers. Among these claims was his ability to cure the sick and bring the dead back to life. He revealed to the setting council of warriors how he could control the weather and make the white man's bullets fall harmlessly to the ground. Isatea's chanted words mesmerized each of the tribe's belief that he had his mystic powers. The tribes looked through the rising smoke, seeing the reflective flames in Isatea's eyes as he raised his arms into the starry sky, giving the notion that he had predicted the disappearance of a comet in 1873. 
These prognostications convinced the Kiowa, Cheyenne, and Arapaho of his supernatural abilities, as he conjured his spirit into the sparkling heavens and spoke directly to God. That night, the fires around the campsites glistened with sparkling coals and smoke drifted upwards across the reservation sky. Taking the risk of being discovered, the chiefs of the Quartz and Hawea tribe slipped out of the camp undetected. They rode hard under the threat of being followed by a hostile faction, who would have indeed killed them for not committing to the war movement. Their destination was the Darlington Indian Reservation near Fort Sill. A Cheyenne peace faction had gathered at the Darlington Indian Reservation when two chiefs of the Quartz and Hoya tribes arrived to report an Indian uprising. Setting at the Peace Council was Colonel Davidson, stationed at Fort Sill, Striking Eagle, and Chief Little Robe. When the two chiefs entered the Peace Council, Little Robe was explaining the inequity under which his people were living. Your people make big talk, he said, and sometimes make war. If the Indian kills a white man's ox to keep his wife and children from starving, what do you think my people ought to say when they see their buffalo killed by your race when you are not hungry? Now the great tribes of the plains have joined together. My friends who have just joined us, the chiefs from the courts and Hoia, have just left the camps of the war faction led by the great Quanna Parker. They are here to warn you, if you do not stop the white hunter from poaching our buffalo, a war is unavoidable. After Colonel Davidson, known as Blackjack, was told the Indian camps were approaching a tipping point of resentment, he insisted that all of the Indians off the reservation return immediately. At the Peace Council, seated next to Little Robe, was Striking Eagle, who spoke up when hearing Davidson's order. The buffalo is our money, explained Striking Eagle. We understand the Medicine Lodge Treaty is being broken by the buffalo hunters near Adobe Walls. The buffalo is our only resource which to buy what we need to receive from the government. Incensed by the threatening words of Little Robe, Colonel Davidson repeated his orders for all Indians off the reservation were to return within two days. Striking Eagle could only agree to keep his people on their reservation, and stated, The government is not meeting our needs, but yet you do not ensue the white hunter who kill and steal our buffaloes. The buffalo are our cattle given to us by the Great Father above. The Great Father provides us meat to eat and things to wear. Now my people have become discontent with your ways. They must protect what the Great Father above has given us. At the conclusion of the Peace Council, Colonel Davidson called for a reliable scout by the name of Amos Chapman. Chapman, stationed out of Fort Supply as an interpreter, was familiar with the Texas Panhandle country. He was also familiar with the native culture of the American tribes. During the early 1870s, while keeping whiskey peddlers off the reservation, he married Mary Longneck, a daughter of the Cheyenne chief Stonecalf, and lived for a time among her tribe. Davidson's decision was now imminent. Chapman was to ride to Fort Supply and muster up a cavalry unit to warn the buffalo hunters at Adobe Walls. It was a good day's ride to Fort Supply from the Darlington Reservation. June 18th, when several hunters had come in to celebrate our return to the range, telling stories of past experiences and joking about how much money we would have when the hunt was over. 
It was about this time when Amos Chapman and six Army regulars from Fort Supply arrived. They spent the afternoon with Rath, Charlie Myers, and Jim Hanrahan. What we were not told by the three merchants was the purpose of Chapman's mission. Chapman was to inform the merchants to expect a massive Indian attack on the morning after the next full moon. The three merchants decided to keep the secret to themselves. If word got around, the hunters might clear out, leaving the valuable stock of supplies defenseless. To keep Chapman's mission a secret, the soldiers agreed to tell the rest of the hunters they were looking for horse thieves. This made-up story by the soldiers caused problems for some of the hunters who were guilty of past horse pinching. These hunters took offense to Chapman being in their camp and began talking about an evening lynching. Before the upset hunters could get to Chapman, Hanrahan convinced John Wesley Moore to let Chapman bed down overnight in the Moore wagon. Hanrahan told John about Chapman's message of a possible Indian attack. The next morning, Moore left for the range to fetch his brother. Chapman returned to Fort Supply with the soldiers, and Rath, along with Myers, made ready a shipment of hides. <laughs> 